Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. All right, man, what a crowd this morning. It's great uh, to see all of you out here. Uh, This place is uh, getting filled up more and more. It's great. I do know there's some people uh, at Hope Church who are still uh, sick and still recovering. So again, our prayers and our love uh, go Go out to all of you, and that's the beauty of uh, of being online now, which is which is just great uh, that we could do this. And by the way, it's also good because you could always go back and watch something that you missed, which I'm going to encourage you to do today. Uh, because if you missed last week, it kind of builds a little bit on that. But anyway, uh, if you weren't here when I first started, my name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we are in a series, we started a few weeks ago, called In uh, Christ. And so we are studying the book of Ephesians, which is a little bit different style than we often do, but it's a good thing for us to do, and I'll explain why in a minute. So what I would say is, if you have a Bible, or if you have your phone with the Bible app on it, you could take that out. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Maybe you're at home. Uh, Their notes are all in the the, uh, text of uh, where you're watching, the platform you're watching, or on our website at cthope.com. A lot of you have asked us for notes every week, and so we're providing those to you. Um, So listen, I'm not going to do a big reading. review of everything that we've talked about so far. I'm going to try to give you all the basics uh, because no matter how I slice it, there's a lot of information today and I don't want to bore you. I do not want to put you to sleep. I'm going to try my best not to do that. At the same time, it's really an important message for all of us today. No matter who you are, no matter where you are on your journey, I think you're here for a reason and I think God has something for you. So Anyway, uh, we saw on that video these words flash on the screen, and basically it was a portion of the key verse and the key reason why we're teaching this series at all. And it reads like this. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. It says, I keep asking, that's Paul, he's the writer of this book. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul is writing to a group of people who are calling themselves followers of Jesus. This book was written about 60 years, roughly, after the resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing to these people who have already professed their faith. So he's writing to believers. And he's saying, listen, I'm writing this for this for you to know and to even know even more. It's like putting the light on. He's like, you want to light up your hearts. We're going to light up your world. You have to know what you believe so that you can go and do it. And kind of that was kind of how I had set this up uh, in my first message here, because this book is really nice. It's basically six chapters, and it's broken up into two sections. There's all this thing about what you need to know, and then how you could live that out. Because what I said was, what we believe determines how we live. What we believe determines how we live. And honestly, that's true for everything in life, is it not? Not? 
Just pick your topic. What you believe about that thing is going to determine the way you react to it. The steps you take because of it. Here's another way you can say it. What we put our faith in will determine how we behave. So what we believe to be true is going to determine the next steps we take about that thing, whatever it is in your life. And it's certainly true of our faith as well. So who or what can we put our faith in? And this is kind of how I want to set this up today. I want to have this thought in the back of your mind the whole entire time I'm talking. I think there's two options for all of us. For all of us, there's two options. We could put our faith in ourselves. That's a solid option. We know ourselves. We can kind of control that a little bit. Or we could put our faith in something outside of ourselves. Something much bigger, something maybe a little more scary, certainly more powerful and transcendent than us. In other words, let me say that another way. We might have to put our faith, if it's the choice between ourselves or in something that we might not be able to understand, which is really hard for us. And it's really hard for our culture. But this is why we call it faith. And so like I said, at the risk of sounding trite or overly simplistic, we're all wrestling with that question. Where are we going to put our faith? In ourselves or in something outside of ourselves? And some of you, and I know I'm speaking to a very uh, mixed audience today of all over the spectrum in your life and in your journey, some of you have decided to place your trust in something outside of yourself. And primarily, I am talking to you today And then there's others on the journey who have not quite been able to make that step or that decision because it's a hard one and I understand it and we're so glad that you're here trying to explore that. And I think this message is for you today as well. And so I hope that our conversation today for the next few minutes that we have will give us some wisdom and a little bit more insight into some basic doctrine and theology. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Christian faith? And to be fair, I have to tell you, I'm making a couple assumptions every time I come up on this stage and speak to you. And these are the assumptions that I am making for me. And it comes right out of the Bible. It says all scripture, all of the Bible, that book that we talked about, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that all of us can be thoroughly equipped. So that's the assumption I'm making, that this book is true and good in all of its ways and that it's useful for us. The second assumption I'm making as I stand up here is that uh, what Jesus says about uh, something in this, about the Holy Spirit. He says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So you're gonna have a choice, always have a choice, and you're gonna go back to scripture and you're gonna go back to God and you're gonna say, God, is this right? Is this true? And I believe if we're earnestly searching with our heart, the spirit's gonna show us that. So with all of that being said, Let me jump in uh, this morning. 
Uh, Sarah and I, Sarah, my wife and I, we love to travel. We have had the ability and the privilege to travel uh, a little bit in our lives. I would not say we are, you know, top class world travelers, but we've certainly been out of the country several times. We've seen some really cool things. A few years ago, I got this email in my inbox and it said, special deal, special deal, stay four days and three nights in this luxurious resort. Typically, it's $1,200, but it's yours for this one time only for $199. Um, you're already laughing because uh, we knew that there was some kind of catch. You know, you always got to read the fine print. Um, And we knew that probably when we, if we took this offer up, we would be going and we would be listening to the pitch. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have sat through a timeshare pitch? Most of us. Now, let me be clear. In my story right now, I am, not, uh, I, I am not judging anybody with a timeshare. I'm not. I'm just telling you about my experience with this one situation. So um, we consider ourselves frugal. We consider ourselves fairly insightful. Uh, we consider ourselves able to make, um, you know, be strong enough and emphatic enough to make the decisions that are best for us. And so we decided uh, to take them up on this offer and to go stay four days and three nights at their beautiful resort for $199. And the catch was we had to go to uh, the pitch. And, and so um, we sat in the pitch for a while and it was interesting to me at how good they were at this. Every angle, every insight had an answer. They knew kind of like all the responses they could possibly get and had the way to counteract that and to sell you their product. And I even know, you know, like they could see if, if it was, you know, the guy uh, making a lot of the decisions when, you know, push came to shove, then they would send in the pretty attractive girl to come sit down and talk to you. Or if it was vice versa, they get the young, strong, handsome man to come make the pitch to you. And everybody there is good looking and young and has their life together. And, you know, they are great salespeople. Um, And I know you're all dying to know. (laughs) Did we buy the timeshare? Well, we did not buy the timeshare on that particular vacation. But in a move that I look back on with torn feelings, we did succumb to the last final ditch effort that they made to us. Again, I see some of you smiling. After our three-hour long session, and we're ready to go enjoy the beautiful resort that they promised us, hey, all you need to do is buy points, and you can have these wonderful vacations for the next few years. You're not committing to anything. You are not technically an owner, but you are going to receive all the benefits of being an owner, and we're so confident that you're gonna love it that by the time that you're done, you are going to buy this timeshare with us. And so we did buy that deal. Um, And now, if I can digress for just a second, This is the part 
that I didn't see coming. This is the part where I was maybe a little bit foolish, maybe a little bit ignorant. Had I known what kind of tactics would be pulled on every subsequent vacation that we took, I do wonder if I would have done it all over again. However, I will say, as I wrap my story up, we did have some great vacations. We definitely got our perks. Uh, We all felt like royalty at times. Uh, My kids loved it. Uh, Valets and beautiful rooms, access to exclusive areas and exclusive activities. And we felt great about it. And like I said, we made some memories and had these wonderful uh, experiences. And I was thinking about that as I was putting my message together today because I wonder, you know, what is it about that that makes so many people drawn to that idea? And again, no judgment if you are there. I know several of you actually that do. And that's a great decision for you. It just hasn't been the right time for us or the right deal for us. But listen, I get it. Like you feel an ownership with something. You have access to exclusive things. You get first dibs. You get first choice on the rooms that you want. You're on the inside. You feel included. You're not left out. Um, In some ways, it becomes like family. In in a general sense, you all identify with a shared set of values when it comes to vacationing and the kinds of vacations you want to take. There's even inside terminology that you begin to learn, uh, inside uh, scoops that you begin to learn as you go through that journey. Um, and again, it could be anything. It could be other than a timeshare too. Maybe that thing is you also feel a sense of protection. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What is it, that emotion that it touches on? And I'm gonna tell you what I think it is. It's the sense of belonging. The sense of belonging to something. We all have a deep sense of wanting to belong. It's an emotion that we crave. I think for me, I believe we were designed like that in creation from day one. And they're deep inside all of us. We want to belong. And here's what I would say as we look into Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter two. Paul is talking to Christians and he says, you know that you have access to some full membership benefits. You have access to some perks as a follower of Jesus. Now again, if you don't consider yourself in that group, stay with me, because if nothing else, it's gonna give you some insight as to why some of us in this room have said, you know what, I am going to do that. I believe in what Jesus has said. I believe in what the Bible is saying to me. But the way that Paul uses, and he doesn't use perks or he doesn't use member benefits. Here's the word that he uses. He uses the word blessings. Blessings. He says, you are in Christ. That's the title of our service, our our series. In other words, he's saying, you belong. That word, that phrase, in Christ, is used 25 times just in the first three chapters of this book. He says, you are in Christ. You belong in Christ. You are a member of the club. And because you are, there are perks of being in Christ. Let's read it together. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 is what we're going to read 
This is our main text for the day. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given in us, given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Today, I wanna talk about four perks, four blessings of being in Christ. If you're taking notes, let's start. We're gonna dive right in. The first one is the blessing of being chosen. The blessing of being chosen. Now, this is my point where I say, go back and watch last week's message. I am not going to go into full depth here. There's just a couple things I wanna pull out, but Carrie did a fabulous job of talking about the fact that we were chosen in Christ and adopted into his family. She said it like this, we were chosen for God's pleasure and for his praise. And anyone who has professed their faith in Jesus, this is, this is more than just a perk. This is a completely different standing you have now. You are the son and the daughter of the king. And that changes everything. I'm actually watching a show right now uh, about a resort and um, the woman is the owner and her son is one of the managers and he's probably not the best manager. He's a little ditzy. He's not really on top of things. Uh, there's plenty of other people that you meet that are more skilled than him, but he has that inside scoop because his mom is the owner and that's kind of like what it is for us. We are now sons and daughters of the king. We have this whole new complete standing. And actually, now that we have that, that title can never be taken away from you. And this is one of the small points I wanted to hit on. Nothing changes that standing ever again. Once you're in God's family, you are always in God's family. There's no losing that status. We would say it maybe there's no losing that salvation. Think about it. If you're a parent and you have children, no matter what your child does, even if they don't even talk to you right now, listen, it doesn't change the fact that they are your son or your daughter. There's nothing that they can do that can change that status. The second thing I wanna say is anyone can be adopted into God's family. We all know that famous verse held up at uh, football games, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And everyone is offered the perk. Everyone is offered this blessing. So that's the first point I wanted to make, a second point. There's some very interesting words that are used here and if you'll bear with me just for a second, because I thought it was too important to just skip over, because sometimes theology nerds geek out over this language, and honestly, I've got to tell you, there's a wide variety of thought about what is meant here, and I just want to address it really quickly for you to go and figure out where you're at with it. But he uses two interesting words. He uses that word chosen, and he uses that word predestined. And so some have come to believe in the doctrine, again, we're talking about doctrine, talking about what Christians believe, of 
predestination or the doctrine of election. And some would even like split those two, that they're different things. But let's call it the doctrine of predestination or the doctrine of election. Uh, election. And here's the basic idea. The doctrine of election is the thought to mean that God elects some humans to salvation and others not. Some humans to salvation and others to damnation. And for centuries, theologians and critics have debated this point. Why? Well, the basic theory is God knows everything and God could see everything before he began. In fact, he was chosen, that says, before the foundation of the world. So now he knew everyone who was going to be saved and, he, he st- and, and people who weren't going to. And so he still uh, did this thing for the elect, the people who have chosen, that he chose actually. And so there's this conundrum. How could um, this, this be? How could it be that God only chooses some people? and not others, right? Big deal. Does this rule out the idea of free will? Does this mean that God does all the work and I can do nothing because I'm already chosen or I'm not, so it's kind of fruitless, right? Does this mean I never have to share my faith with other people because does it really matter in the end? If God has already chosen who's gonna be his children and who's not, then where does that leave me in all of this? And so I'm just gonna say this, and I'm happy to have a discussion another time. I just have a hard time getting to that place for myself. I think it's a little bit of a false and misguided doctrine. Let me tell you why. It goes against what I see of God's heart in the whole of scripture. You gotta take everything all together in its context and put it in its proper place. And here's what I see. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I had a pastor, a youth pastor, when I was in high school, and he said, all is all, and that's all all could be. It's the stupidest phrase ever. (laughs) All is all, and that's all all could be. But I think it applies here. God is saying, it's open to everybody. Number two, uh, I already read John 3, 16. He gave his son so whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in my study, and there are many others, it just does not make sense It goes against the nature of God. I think about things like, why would Paul go through all of this to go into all these churches and all these different areas of the world and honestly give his life? He's writing this book from prison. Why would he do that if it didn't matter about sharing his faith? Obviously, he believed that all people had the choice to make. And again, when studied against other scriptures in context, particularly in the book of Romans I think there could even be another case for what is meant by these terms. Regardless of where you land, though, I needed to bring that up because I think it's important to know this is not just a small faction of people. There's a lot of people who would fall in that that boat. I don't happen to be there. Here's what I would say that are some ideas that connect to that that I do think are true. First, we are chosen by God, but it's not by any merit that we have done. It's not by anything we have done or could ever do. In fact, if you go to Ephesians chapter two, which again, I'm kind of skimming over all this today. It says, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. It means there's nothing that you can do in order to merit salvation. And grace is offered to all, but we must accept it. There is something that we must do. And here's the final thing, and I'm gonna move on. It's always going to be a paradox when we're trying to understand God. 
There are paradoxes all over the Bible. Because we're not all knowing like him, we will always run into things we don't understand. And God's sovereign will and man's free will is one of those things. And I could just leave it at that because here's my take on a lot of these debates. They wouldn't be a debate if it was such a clear answer, right? Here we are hundreds and hundreds of years later still talking about it. Okay, that's the first thing. We're chosen by God. Number two, and this is where I'm gonna spend most of my time today. The blessing of being redeemed. We have the blessing, the perk of being chosen, but we also have the blessing of being redeemed. Here's what that scripture says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're gonna talk about that word redemption for a little bit. What does that mean? If we go back to the language, what does that mean? It means to be bought back. It means literally to be set free from bondage. To be set free from a debt or a weight. Another kind of meaning, it could be traded in for something new to pay a debt. And this is why Christians use the term saved. What they mean is we are saved from something. We are bought back from a destiny that we had before us that all of a sudden we were made new and it changed. We are saved from that thing. And that's why we use that term. Again, in Ephesians chapter two, in the first few verses, he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you all used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the spirit at work at the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. There's not a single exception. All of us were people of sin. And then verse four says, but. And as I like to say, that's a big but. But because of the Father's love, mercy, and grace, he shed his blood for our redemption. He bought us back with his blood, which I know is kind of a weird, crazy, maybe even a little bit of a gross concept, but this is what the Bible teaches, that without the shedding of blood, there is no way that we could be redeemed. His blood, think of it this way, was the substitution for our blood. This is how we were bought back. This is how we are saved. In other words, again, let me say, there is nothing we can do to earn this gift of salvation. There's another guy, Peter. You've heard Peter and Paul. He's another one of the big uh, followers of Jesus and wrote uh, some books in the Bible. And he says it like this. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. In other words, it's not anything that we had that we could go and buy ourselves. It's not anything we had stored up with us that we can trade in. He says, it's only with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And he was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these times for your sake and for my sake. So this blood is how we receive forgiveness of sins. And so if you wonder why we celebrate communion the way we do, why the Christian church has celebrated with, uh, you know, taking the blood, it is a picture of Jesus redeeming it in the only way he could. And that was with the shedding of his blood, the perfect blood. This is our redemption. This is our forgiveness. And this is our salvation. 
Um, I liked how Carrie, last week, she had all these questions, you know, these parts of speech. I think it was like where, when, why, how, all that. So I, I figured I would use my own parts of speech here. I want to talk about prepositions for a second. In English, prepositions introduce more information about a subject that was just mentioned, that it was referring to. And here's the weird thing. I'm 45 years old, and this dates me now, what, 30, 35 years ago. I learned prepositions in school. And I still remember the preposition list, at least mostly. Check this out. Aboard, about, above, across, after, against, along, among, around, that, before, behind, below, beneath, beside, between, beyond, by, down, during, except for, from, in, inside, into, like, near, uh, off, of, off, to, toward, under, underneath, with, within, without. I don't know. Something like that. Pretty, pretty good, right? The brain still does work a little bit. And I'm sure I've missed somebody. Don't you, don't you dare look up that list and go like, you missed this one. But here's the thing. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, check out all these prepositional phrases he uses to describe what salvation, what redemption means for us. This is what he says. He goes, salvation, you have salvation from sin and death. You are saved out of love. You are saved by grace. You are saved into life. You are saved with a purpose and you are saved for good works. This is amazing stuff. And this is why I get excited about this message, even though I know it's all these you know, big words in this. This is what you need to know. This is the whole foundation. This is the whole base of what, we, of what we're about. And listen, if you go back to Ephesians chapter one, the first verse I started with, he adds this phrase, and I thought this struck me this week. It says, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. First of all, I love that word lavish. 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 That's a fun word to say. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. Here's a way to think about that. He didn't save us out of God's grace. He saved us according to the riches of God's grace. And so maybe if you think about it in financial terms, someone who gives out of their wealth versus according to their wealth makes a huge difference, does it not? In fact, God calls us to be givers according to how he has blessed us. He has not give, called us to be givers out of what he has blessed us with. And there is a difference. That's why in the Bible, that lady who just gave like the two cents was celebrated because she gave all that she could possibly afford. She gave in accordance with all that she had. She didn't just give a little portion, a little piece out of it. And that's what we gotta get in ourselves as Christians. But think about God now, the one who owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills is what the Bible says. He owns everything. There is no limit to his wealth. He gave us grace in accordance with all of that. That's amazing. We're redeemed by the work of Jesus. Oh gosh, I'm looking at the time. I'm going long. Here we go, let's keep moving. Number three, the third perk, the third blessing. The blessing of being sealed. The blessing of being sealed. This is mentioned several times in this, in this scripture. And I would say, what in the world does this mean as we read through that Ephesians chapter one chap, uh, passage? Well, back in the days of kings and empires, right? Every king had a seal. 
And basically, often it was like a ring. It was like a signet. It identified who that king was. It was unique to them. And once they sealed something with that signet, it means it was done and it was final, that it was theirs, that their word was, they were not going back on their word. And that's the illustration. That would have been, by the way, very understandable and popular to the audience that he was teaching. He says, I have given you a seal. You accept this blessing of being chosen and redeemed. Now you have a seal. There's nothing you can do about it. And I'm gonna mark your life with it. It's what it is. It's a mark. And he says, it's called the Holy Spirit. And he calls the Holy Spirit a seal. We are sealed for the day of redemption. What he's saying is we're chosen by God. We're redeemed by Jesus and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of cool, right? The whole Trinity is part of that. We're his. He claims us as his own. We're protected by the king. His word is final. And it's that spirit that's the active part in our daily lives. This is the mark of the Christian. That's why also in other passages of the Bible, you see the fruit of the spirit, the marks of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, all faith, all of those things are there. And at the risk of taking my illustration too far, when we became owners, members of this vacation club. They gave us, every time we got there, we, gave, we got a band, right? It was, our, it was our mark. It was how they knew that we were a part of that place. It was the thing that gave us special access to the members only places that we can go. To the pool, to the jacuzzi, and to the game rooms, and everything else that is not able to be accessed by people on the outside. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And finally, the last point he makes here in this passage, the last perk of being in Christ is the blessing of wisdom and insight for living. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, one of our key verses, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What he's saying is right now, in the here and now, it's not just about the future. It is also about the now that he is going to change the way you live. He's gonna change the way you think. He's going to give you wisdom and insight as to what that means to be a Christian. That what he has called us to and redeemed us from has a purpose in this world and that we can have a richer and more fulfilling life as a part of God's family. And I was thinking, this too seems like a paradox, does it not? The fact that we have to submit and give over control to somebody else, actually, we find more freedom in that thing. This doesn't make sense, particularly in our human way of thinking and particularly in our culture. And so Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, he goes on to illustrate this several times over and over. He says, you were, and then there's another big but in there. But now you are. You were all these things. This is what it was, but now you are. And this is how it changes everything. And he goes, for this reason, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that your world will come to life, right? That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy and so here is the big idea, if you're taking notes, for all of us today. Belonging to Christ 
fills our life with immeasurable blessing. Belonging to Christ fills our life with immeasurable blessing. Now, let me tell you, maybe you're like me. I hate sales pitches. I hate feeling like I'm the target of someone or that I'm being sold something. Quick story. I worked for many years at Foot Locker. Um, I was starting from a teenager through college, next you know, couple of years, even beyond that. So I was a salesman and I had to sell people sneakers. And I was the worst salesman they probably possibly could have had. Because people would come in to buy something and they said, this is the shoe that I want. And I'd be like, ah, yeah, but you know, if you were to champs down the hall, it's on sale there. <laughs> so, I mean, if you just want some, but I hate that. I, I hate, I hate, you know, when we also used to do, we had to do upselling, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, so someone buys a pair of sneakers and they're like, hey, do you want some socks to go with that? Or do you want sneaker balls? Which, you know, they, they kind of make your shoes feel nice. Some of you need to get those, um, uh, just smell nice. Um, I hated you know, like you get these like benefits for adding on, I, and, and I understand it. So, so I, I know it's kind of humorous, but here's the thing with when it comes to faith and Christianity, and some of you even out there, and I am super sensitive to this. I do not ever want to feel like I have to, have to sell you this thing. You are not a target, but you are loved. And here's the thing I had to to think through with this. As much as I hate being sold to and feel like I'm a target, I have to admit there's some things that I never knew I needed <laughs> that I needed. You know what I'm saying? You feel me on that? I need to be open to things that make my life better. I need sometimes the perks of those things. And sometimes I don't realize the value of something until I'm told about it. And in a more serious illustration, as I close up, I remember a while back, someone who was a friend of mine who was an atheist said to me, I don't believe what you believe. But if I did, I could not stop telling people about it. Because if what you have really is that good, then why you try to blend in? It was the same to me personally. He's talking about Christians in general. Why try to blend in with everybody else and just be like everybody else? And that struck me. And I guess that's my heart this morning. This is one of those things, these perks of being Christ, that's offered to everyone. Everyone who's listening to my words right now, we have access to this. And I just need to tell you about it. Here's the end, at the end of the day, you have the choice. You have the free choice to make that decision for yourself but I feel like it's one of those things that you can't afford to pass up or miss out on. Our choice matters, but it is your choice. And so let me go back to the beginning. We can trust ourselves or we can trust something outside ourselves. This is scary. This is a leap. This is a jump. But when you do, you don't realize what you are missing until you do it. Let's all kind of just bow our heads and close our eyes. Yeah, a little different kind of a talk, but something that's super important. 
for all of us. We wanna know what we believe and why we believe it. And there's no way on earth that I would give up my life if I didn't believe this with all my heart. And I just want that for all of us. And so again, I don't know where you are. I don't know what God is saying to you specifically, but I do wanna create space here in this moment to listen to what God is saying to you. And I think for some, God is saying to you, hey, maybe you need to make that leap. Maybe you need to make that jump. Maybe you need to explore more what being in Christ means and what that is and how that makes a difference in my life right now. That's where some of you are. Maybe you've already made that jump, but you actually need to figure out then, okay, I'm not living in all the riches in the hope, in the peace, in the joy that he gives in my everyday life. I'm not living in that light. I'm still hung up. I'm still trying to do things on my own. And by the way, that's gonna be something that we all wrestle with for the rest of our lives. But in this space, in this moment, God, I pray that you would meet every person just where you need to meet them. May their hearts be open just to the idea, just to the thought that they are chosen in you, that redeemed, they can be redeemed by you, that they can be kept by you and sealed by your Holy Spirit and live with wisdom and insight for living in this life. And all you gotta do is say, God, I admit I don't know it all myself. I admit I'm a sinner. We all know that. But God, I know that you died for my sins and I accept that sacrifice. I accept what you've done. In your own words, maybe you need to pray that prayer. We're gonna close out today with a song that probably most all of us know. It's called Amazing Grace and I asked them to sing it today because You know, it's a classic that just stands up because it's just so, it just so goes through. God, we need that grace. Not that we deserved it by any stretch, but that you gave it to us freely. We'll take our time with the song and then I'll come back up and I'll close us out. But let's just, right where you are, even just you could sit, you could stand, you could kneel. You have permission to do whatever. We're pretty informal around here, but just listen to these words as our band leads us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.